Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Okay, welcome uh, everybody. Uh, we've got Michael here from New Zealand, James Butler, the cricket budget from England. Full house today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining on. My name is Lucas, aka Three Point Spanish King, and we are here to represent, uh, to review first test match between England and New Zealand at Lords. And boy, what a test match this was! Short test match, uh, only three days, but uh, boy, there was full of excitement. And uh, we'll start with. Um, Michael, in New Zealand uh, won the toss. They decided to bat first. They got along a very poor start, Michael. Um, in fact, one stage looking at probably, geez, if they're going to get past 60 or 70. Uh, thoughts on that first innings? Look, I think it, it was one of those cases where, you know, in New Zealand we often talk about a fake green pitch where it's green and it looks like it's going to go all over the place and it just goes straight through and it's just the, just easy to bat on. And this was kind of the opposite. It looked like it was a batting deck. You got out there and... The ball was moving just enough to get from the middle to the edge. It wasn't moving enough to get from the middle past the edge. You saw almost no plays and misses. You saw guys just edging it and getting out. And um, it was almost the perfect bowling pitch because of that. And uh, England bowled really, really well, and New Zealand didn't bat so well. And as a result, um, they were four down for seven or something. And you know, mm. it, it was and and it was really only a a very spirited fight back that stopped New Zealand from from challenging the twenty six uh, that that we're that we can't wait and we've been waiting for a long time for someone to take out that record off our hands and. We didn't want it to be us, and it looked like it was a possibility for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, these guys know how to bowl in these conditions, and they did really well. And I think for everything you can say bad about the batting, there was more positives from the bowling side of things than there were negatives from the batting. Uh, from from where I was watching. Yes, you mentioned that New Zealand was about 4 for 12, 5 for 27, and uh, there were 7 for 45. Would have been a lot worse. Um, having said that, there was fight back from Tim Southey and uh, Colin de Gronholm, who uh, did have a little resistance and made the uh, target a little, at least a little bit respectful, as it could have been. Yeah, yeah, and and look, that's uh, it's good to see from Colin de Gronholm because he's tended to score his runs when it, they've been bully runs so far. It's when a team's been, un, you know, under pressure. The, the, you know, the, the, he comes in at three hundred for four or three hundred for five with the bowlers tired, and he hits a quick hundred or a quick sixty or mm. seventy and demoralizes the team. That's what he's been really good at. What he hasn't been so good at is coming in when New Zealand's in trouble and scoring runs, and he did that. So that was a really good sign. Um, ended up not out. Maybe he should have done a better job of working with the tail. Um, he's often not batting with the tail because when domestic cricket, he bats at number four and he gets out pretty quickly with a decent score. But he, he he's, he's someone that, that's more interested in scoring runs and batting time. Uh, so 
he doesn't get the bat with a tail very often. Uh, and that's perhaps something he needs to reflect on that, that he needed to be shielding uh, Bolt and Patel from the strike a bit more. Um, but overall, a pretty good fight back after a terrible start. Um, but you've got to say, opening batsmen shouldn't be playing with hard hands outside the line of off stump. If, you know, if you're defending a ball and moving pitch it's against swing bowling, you should be using soft hands. And, and you know, Will Young certainly needs to go and reflect on his defensive technique um, more so than. But but yeah, in saying that. It was outstanding bowling, and good bowling gets wickets early on, no matter how good the batsmen are. Uh, and we'll speak about that bowling. We'll be in James here. Um, my goodness, what a debut for uh, Matt Potts! Four for thirteen, four maidens, unbelievable. Along with James Anderson, how do you see the, the those two in particular? Yeah, I mean, a lot of talk we've talked on this podcast about mm. the structure of English cricket, and uh, mm. there's too many counties, and teams like Durham should be uh, axed from the, the schedule, but shows that they are producing you know, genuine talent. Matty Potts has been terrific in the first um, couple of months of the county championship, 35 wickets for Durham. And it's good to pick a player for his debut when he's actually on form and he's got some confidence behind him. You know, so too often England... I mean, Harry Brook is a potential example of that. He's absolutely scintillating form in the early part of this season. They'll wait to pick him until he's out of form. Um, but they picked um, Matty Potts when... You know, he's got his tail up. He's obviously uh, a county colleague of Ben Stokes, so he knows the skipper and trusts the skipper, and the skipper knows him. And he couldn't have done any more. Can you know, four for thirteen on his uh, on his debut at Lords? A big occasion for anybody making your debut, but at Lords as well in front of a, a full house. Mm. Yeah, you can't knock him. And yeah, it must be some experience for him. You know, being a youngster. Bowling in that England lineup probably got his call up because there's so many injuries elsewhere in the England uh, bowling attack. But to be bowling alongside Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson and taking four for 13, it's uh, probably a day he's going to remember for a while, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and uh, the other bowler, um, Jimmy Anderson, does it once again at, at age 50, 60. We don't know how old he is. He's been playing cricket for, for as long as the Stone Ages. Comes in, didn't play in the Caribbean. Um, huge question marks of whether he either play again. Comes in and boy, he was just as good. Um, four for 66, six maidens, um, fantastic spell of bowling from James Anderson. Yeah, he's uh, he's a youngster that's worth persevering with, I think, in that <laughs> England side. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I mean, you know what you're going to get with Jimmy, especially mm. in the first innings. He does tail off a little bit these days in the second innings, yep. but in the first innings of a test match, when he's got the ball, as Michael was saying, doing a little bit, he's got it on a string and he's going to, he would test anybody. You know, however good you are as a batsman, they're going to have to battle to get through a Jimmy Anderson spell and absolutely bang on the money. And I think, Lucas, once New Zealand had been bowled out for 132, and we'll come on to it in a second, but England had got off to a half-decent start. The Brennan McCullum to be knighted. Ben Stokes, the best captain in the world. Who needs Joe Root as skipper? England are the best team in the world. Everything was going right, wasn't it? Well, well, let, well. Let's let's bring on Ashes 2023. Then why wait until then? Why, why, why? Let, let's just call him in there this year, and we'll, we'll fix that up very quickly. It has, uh, to, has, to, be, has to be said that um, that um, joyful feeling on day one didn't last mm. very long because New Zealand bounced back very quickly, didn't they? Yes, uh, we'll we'll start with you. We are, of course, uh, New Zealand uh, got bowled out for 132. England second uh, first innings. Very good start, James. A surprising start. Um, a lot of tension with Zach uh, Crawley. Uh, um, again, has been making runs. We've covered this in uh, domestic county cricket. Comes back in. I said to you, this is really the batting lineup's not much different to, compared to Caribbean and the Ashes. They had a really good start. Really good start. Um, went to 60. That's a good start by England these days. Uh, and then absolutely the collapse came, uh, James. And I was absolutely laughing my head off, I have to admit. I could not believe what I was seeing. You, you were supporting New Zealand, Lucas, were you? Well, well, I'm well, not supporting England, the old enemy. You've got to be kidding me, James. That's just, that's just sacrilegious, that. I might, I might have the, uh, the old readers' uh, cricket ball here, but uh, uh, it's only because New Zealand played the cooker bar that I'm surprised. <laughs> I've got a cricket ball of them. But um, as I said, just a horrible collapse, expected collapse. Johnny Bairstow, Roots, Ollie Pope at three didn't work. And just pathetic, really, James. How, how did you see that? horrible collapse after such a good start from an England point of view it's one of their finest collapses we do collapses very well in this country and it was a stellar collapse from a position of strength to a position of um, immense weakness really a very narrow first innings lead in the end Alex Lees and Zach Crawley Ollie Pope was a top three we've spoken about it before the jury I think is very much still out on all three of them Alex Lees, I think it's best, particularly in the second innings showed a little bit of fortitude but then a massive misjudgment in the first innings he looked like 
um, his brain was whirring. I mean, I, I think people forget sometimes. We, we look at these guys out there as being cricketers and just expect them to hit the ground running and be fantastic. But for Alex Lees, who played his first three test matches in the Caribbean, in his head, probably to relative anonymity because he's not in front of a big crowd and, and all the rest of it, suddenly lands in front of a home crowd at Lords since, you know, from being a small kid. He'll have been watching Law's test matches. So I can understand why the juices were flowing inside his body in the in the, uh, in the the first innings. But, you know, he keeps getting to kind of 20s and 30s and then doesn't kick on. So if Alex Lees is going to make that position his own, he's going to have to go on and get at least a 50, I think, in this series. Um, Zach Crawley, we all know he can play a fantastic cover drive. We all know he's punchy. We all know he stands tall and hits the ball hard. But I think particularly in the second innings, I saw his wicket coming in the second innings from a mile away because he was just not moving his feet, not getting his head across in the line. And you know, if you're a Tim Southie, a Trent Bolt or somebody, a Carl Jameson, they all got, they've all got tremendous control. If you stick that ball on fifth stump and keep it there, he's going to ultimately give you a chance. So mm. that Crawley jury, jury still out. And he, I mean, you said Ollie Pope didn't work. I think it's too early to judge Ollie Pope at number three yet on one test match, but early signs are it didn't work because t- to me... If you're batting in the top three, Lucas, in a test team, it's a specialist role. You're mm. almost an opener. Um, and Ollie Pope has got most of his runs at five and you know, more latterly four for Surrey. You're protected then um, from that new ball. At number three for England, you have got very little protection above you. So he's going to be exposed at times and he needs to he needs to show his worth, doesn't he? You know, there comes a time, he's 24, I think now, he comes a time where the potential tag goes and he's got to become a a fully fledged test player and this is his opportunity and at the moment he's not really showing too many signs of uh, taking it but the run out of Colin de Grantain was very good Badges are furry creatures 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn off 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com. Quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. From the bowling perspective in that first innings, um, it really wasn't one dominance. They all chipped in. Tim Southie hit four wickets. Trent Bolt hit three. Jemerson hit two. Colin Grahonholm hit a wicket. Um, They all chipped in. They bowled very well, Michael. Your thoughts on them? Yeah, look, I was a little bit sceptical about Jameson being in the squad. Mm. Um, I would have probably had uh, Neil Wagner there. But, um, But Jameson made a real difference in that first innings in terms of uh, he came in, he broke up the partnership, he got he got Crawley out and then um, got Pope not long after mm. that. And, um, well, actually it was, it was a while after that in terms of 10 overs later, but it, uh, it <laughs> didn't feel like there wasn't much happened in those 10 overs. Actually, <laughs> 16 runs that were scored. He and Bolt bowled dry. They, they really put the pressure on, um, and, and de Gronholm as well, but they, they really put the pressure on that was, I guess, in some ways, the ultimate uh, the, the comparison between the the McCullum approach and the Williamson approach, where McCullum's about about create a wicket with your field pricings and you 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 get in the batsman's head to create a wicket, whereas Williamson is about you build the pressure, the drip drip drip, and make the batsman make a mistake, and um, and it was you know that was very much a Williamson wicket, a Williamson bowling spell. That they they did it just the way that that they've been that they've been doing it in this series or in this in this um, in, since Williamson took over, just build that pressure, build that pressure, build that pressure, probe away, find the breakthrough. You don't need a lot of pressure to uh, put pressure on England. They they crumble very quickly. <laughs> well, I mean, but actually, that's and, and and part of that is that the um, the the English press and the you know the English fans will jump on their players. And so there is that tendency that there, there is extra pressure on them. But, I mean, again, Southie, his ability when he's on to clean up a tail has been a really um, – Southie and Bolt, the, their ability to just mop up the tail is is very handy 
Um, and and so you saw them. You saw England go from ninety six for four to um, to you know one hundred one hundred and forty one all out. The the, the um, you normally expect half the runs to come in the first four wickets, and it was a, it was quite a bit less than that. Uh, came in the in the second four. That's a useful thing, and that's something that New Zealand lacked when Broad wasn't there. That that left right. Um, Southy and uh, Broad, when Bolt wasn't there, that, that left-right combination just gets in the head of the of the lesser quality players, um, and you know batsmen know how to deal with it, but but all rounders and tailenders just don't do it as well. Um, and and, and there's the little subtle things that they do, the change of angle, all of those those tricks that they have um, do tend to <laughs> play absolute havoc with the tail, and you saw it happen there. And it was there was a lot of I mean it was a bit of assistance from the pitch, but a lot of it was it, the similar to um, in England's innings. There was a lot of the credit has to go to the bowlers. They made the most of the pitch and they put the pressure on the batsman, and the batsmen just weren't up to it. But yeah, it was a it was natural for the conditions that they were in with such great bowling that their wickets were going to fall. James is actually right. Uh, in fairness to Ollie Pope, literally um, when you were number three for England, you're ready to come in after the first three overs. So in fairness to him, he didn't know what to do. He probably was having a cup of tea, didn't know whether to play cards or whatever to do. So, so my bad on Ollie Pope for that. Maybe I was a little bit harsh with him. I think um, Gorby... I do have to say, though, uh, just on that with first uh, English batting, in, yeah. in difficult conditions, the job of the opening batsman really is to, is to make it to the end of the first hour. If you mm. can bat an hour as an opener, the runs is, is secondary to that. If you can make it to an end of an hour you've given everyone else a good shot. And both Crawley and Lee's managed to bat out an hour uh, yes, as yes. batsmen. And so you've got to say that's a win for them. Now, the fact that the rest of the team got, yeah, <laughs> from, from, number, from number three to number 11, the highest scorer was Joe Root with 11, um, is it, it, it's not really what you're hoping when you put on a, uh, an hour-long opening partnership. Um, <laughs> sort of expect... That, that they're going, they've, you've, you've set up the platform, you've made it easy for them, they're now going to come in and score runs. But you can't blame the openers for what happened after they got out. <laughs> Good point. Will England find a number three position for the batsman? Who will bat at number three and continue? Uh, will uh, England back Oli Pop or do you find someone else batting at number three? And same, uh, uh, and another one is, will Mark Parkinson will be playing the next test match or will you find uh, Jack Leach will be fitting uh, in the next test match? Uh, I think in terms of the batting, I think England will keep it exactly the same. I think the fact they've won, um, they picked <laughs> the squads for the first two test matches. So the options aren't particularly plentiful. They've got Harry Brook, obviously, in that squad. A lot of people crying out for him to come in because he's been in incredible form in domestic cricket. But I think... Um, I, I, the way I see it, anyway, is that McCullum's basically just put his England track suit on. Ben Stokes is only captain now in that uh, in the first Test match as a full time captain. Um, I think they're going to be. I, I was quite impressed actually, just on the side note, with McCullum and his movement around the balcony. He seemed to be very good at going and sitting next to somebody who maybe needed a shoulder to cry on, or a, he, he was trying. He, he was obviously trying to find out and chat to players that might need a bit of confidence boosting. There's a, a few people from inside the England camp have already said they make them feel, he, he makes them feel 10 foot high. He's given them a little bit of a, a bump. And uh, you could see in the field, actually, in the first innings, England were on it. You know, the catches they took, um, some of the fielding stops and stuff is very unlike England over the last two years. They were really, really taking everything. And I think McCullum's had to, you know, he's energised that team to a degree because the team was a little bit down after the last 18 months but I noticed when Crawley got out he went and sat next to him when Lee's got went, got out he was sat next to McCullum and he was just having a little chat with them talking them through it and getting their opinions and presumably learning about players that he doesn't know too much about a couple of weeks ago he probably never spoken to any of them so that was interesting but I, I, I think in terms of the batting order as I said I think they'll keep it the same from what I, I've seen of McCullum elsewhere he tends to I mean he hasn't got a huge CV for coaching it has to be said but he's been in the IPL and the and the CPL but whenever he's gone into those places and I know you can't make massive changes because you've, you've got your squad and that's it but mm. he has tended to have stuck with the 11 kind of gone in there sat back and viewed and admired and criticised maybe from a distance. And then once he's actually made his mind up after observing for a while, he's then made some changes. And I think he'll do the same with England. I think this for this series against New Zealand, I can't see too much happening. And then maybe against India and South Africa later in the summer, then McCullum might start to stamp his own you know, authority on that side. We've got rumours as well that Ian Bell might become the chairman of selectors or whatever the tag, the tag will be there. So this 
a completely new hierarchy that England have. Um, and I think it, they'd be wise to not listen to people clamoring on social media for the likes of Ben Compton and stuff, but to just give these guys a little bit of time, see if anybody steps up to the mark. If they don't, then they can start to tinker. If they do, then you know, there's some good players in there. Ollie Pope's a good player. He's just not getting any runs for England. There's something, there's a mental block when he steps into an England shirt as opposed to a Surrey shirt. And McCullum, you know, if he's a great coach, um, then he might be able to unlock that block and uh, and clear it away so Pope can thrive. Because there's no, you know, a lot of comparisons with um, between Ollie Pope and Ian Bell. And Ian Bell wasn't a bad player. And, you know, if you actually put them side by side and watch them back together on a split screen, they're very, very similar. About the Mike, uh, Brendan McCallum appointment as an England coach. What do you see? Obviously, you have followed uh, Brendan McCallum's career very closely. So what do you think that he will be bringing out to the England's this uh, test team? The, I think currently Tom Latham has just pointed out that he was quite surprised after the appointment. Yeah, look, I, I know Brendan a little bit. So I, I have some... I've sort of hung out with him a couple of times and, and I really like him. So part of it is it's really hard to criticise someone that you like. Um, but I, I I do feel like it's a, it was a, a very brave decision to pick him as a coach because of not having any Red, any Red Bull coaching experience. Um, but he does have a lot of captaincy experience in Test cricket. And I think there's a point where there's a lot of crossover between coaching and captaincy, um, more so in cricket than probably any other sport. I, there's a couple of things that I think people don't realise about McCullum in that he's he's very much uh, a fan of people learning how to play their game as well as they can rather than trying to make people play his game. So you, the style of McCullum is to back players in the way they want to play rather than to make them all go bish, bosh, bash. So he will, like you see with Crawley, he's encouraging him to play the shots. Whereas with Lees, you'll see him, tap, you'll work on him and on leaving the ball and work with him on on making those decisions. And and I mean, McCullum actually did become a pretty good dower opener for a while. Uh, he averaged something like 50 uh, over three years as an opener um, at a strike rate in the 30s. So he does actually have that ability to play that sort of game. He got bored doing it and gave it up, didn't like it. But he can do that. He can play that style of cricket. What he will be doing is, I'd say, trying to bring out what what the natural flares of the players are. And I can't see him dropping anyone, except if he really decides he wants to bring in Harry Brook. Um, and Go I ahead, James. There's a call for that. Uh, and from uh, one of the things I, I got to spend a bit of time with Brendan uh, talking through the promotion of Kane Williamson when, when, when Kane was first coming into the side. And he said... The, the, like he, he said, it's our responsibility. We get to decide if Kane Williamson is the best batsman that New Zealand's had since Martin Crow or the best batsman New Zealand's had. He said that, that comes down to how well we manage him and that we don't put too much pressure on him. We allow him to develop his game. So he thinks that way. That was in 2012 when he was, when McCullum, when, when uh, Williamson was first breaking onto the scene, he'd seen enough of him to say, that's what we need to be doing. And he actually, he was supposed to be on a rest day. He jumped on a plane, paid for the ticket himself to get to the West Indies early because they heard that Williamson was going to be given the captaincy. And he said there's no way he should be given the captaincy when he's still 21 uh, years old. He should not be captain. There's too much pressure to put on his shoulders. And he got got there early in order to take the captaincy off for that game uh, so that Williamson didn't have to step up and do it. Uh, because he didn't think it was right for him to have it early. The thing with Harry Brook is he may well say, we just want to give him some time in the in the environment, get him to, to the point that he feels like he belongs here. Uh, but he, he, he's very keen on not putting too much pressure on someone too soon. So I think those are a couple of things that you're going to see with his captaincy. He does, uh, his coaching, he does have faith in players. He won't drop someone after one or two bad performances. You've got to have uh, a string of bad performances. And he was, uh, I mean, I know that he's a very big one for judging players by how well they train and the attitudes they have, as well as just their performances on the field. So you won't always see, uh, although he does talk about net tigers, as a, as a, a term he, he used, someone who's great in the nets and rubbish on the field. Um, but uh, he, he said that, you know, that's one thing he will be watching for is the attitude off field will make a big difference in his selections. So sometimes some of the, the decisions may be surprising based on stats, but he's not looking at the stats. He's looking at what they're doing off the field that he thinks is going to, 
contribute to what will happen on the field. Um, that, that was what I was always like. I was I was always good in the nets, never any good out in the middle. Um, I, yeah. I think from what from what I'm picking up from various people on social media in England is that the the Rob Key, Stokes, McCullum axis of uh, you know triangle of power they've all talked kind of about positivity and a lot of people seem to be interpreting that as being recklessness and going out there and hitting fours and sixes all the time and playing like t20 cricket in the in a test match arena and match is going to be over in two days kind of thing but that's not what positivity i don't think in cricket means it's about as michael said getting the best out of yourself trying to kind of get negativity out of your brain not being scarred from previous experiences, but thinking positively about the future, looking for how to win rather than how to draw and looking at how to draw rather than how to lose. You know, I think in cricket terms, you can actually play defensively positively. You can leave a ball positively. You can do things positively with the right body language and with confidence um, rather than, as England, I think, have done uh, over the last 18 months, have played with a little bit of a fear of failure at times. And as Michael said, you know, the press in this country and the, the supporters in this country, I'm not shy of uh, telling people they're rubbish. I mean, Matt Parkinson's a great example of that. Um, for the last, tw- last two years, Matt Parkinson's gone twice around the world in England squads. He's been sitting on the in the dugout. He's been carrying the drinks with a bib on. And over the last, um, probably, the, you know, the cries have got louder for Matt Parkinson to come into that test side. Everybody's been saying that. He bowls 14 overs after being called up as a late substitute concussion um, change. And, and all of a sudden he's rubbish because he hadn't taken a wicket. And it's, that's just typical of how, um, you know, it's, it, you, you've got to, it, like Matt Potts, Matt Potts escaped any criticism because he hit, he hit the ground running and took wickets straight away. But if he'd been wicketless on day one, they'd have been saying, what are we calling up this second division trundler for? People have very short attention spans for people's abilities. You've got to let people settle down. It's a big step up into the international arena. And there will be nerves in Matthew Parkinson. It was great to see him take that final wicket. I don't know how Jack Leach is after his concussion because there's, there are... Obviously, rules about concussion. I don't know if he, you know, the, me- the medics will have looked at him, and if it's full-scale concussion, I think you have to sit out for a while. You're not allowed back on the uh, on the pitch, so I don't quite know how severe it was. But going to be interesting, actually, if, if Jack Leach reports fully fit, um, who they go with? Because I mean, Matt Parkinson was on a hiding to nothing really. Yeah, no, no leg spin has really done a huge amount at Lords. It's, it's not that kind of track. He probably would actually do a lot better at Trent Bridge, where leg spin may have more of an effect. So it's going to be interesting to see how the selectors go with the spinners' role. Well, he also, um, I think, was given a bad bowling plan. You know, you're bowling to guys who are both pretty good off their pads, and you're bowling outside leg stump. That's that's not an ideal place to be bowling as a leg spinner. One thing, Michael, that England's have got very consistent with is having captains that don't know how to captain spinners. <laughs> well, that's something New Zealand have and England have in common. But you want to, as a leg spinner on a on a on a track that's doing a little bit, but getting quite a bit of bounce, which is what Lords was doing. You really want to be bowling a middle and off sort of line. And, and while that seems negative because you're moving away from the stumps, it brings you wrong in and your top spinner and your flipper and the, the, any of those sort of deliveries come and into the game. At Lords with the slight slope as well. I mean, it's not obviously across the width of the strip. It's not a, a massive slope, but yeah. you only have to go to the ground to know how much higher one side is than the other. And that obviously complicates things as well, doesn't it? Because you've got this, the, the the slope actually, you know, either accentuating some spin or, or negating spin. Yeah, but but again, what you need to do is you need to create doubt in the batsman's mind if they need to play it or not. Mm. And if you're pitching it outside leg, they, there's no doubt for them. The doubt is, do I try and hit it for four or do I just pad it away? That's the only decision they've got to make. Whereas when you're bowling on on middle and off. Um, you know, Richie Benno would say middle, but I think most modern spinners, it's more closer to off that works for them. Um, if you're bowling there, you've got the, the, the I can't leave this uh, because it could be a wrong end. I can't play the light inside the line because it could go straight on. And so I have to follow it. And that's where you lead the ball into the slips and that sort of thing. Um, and we don't see enough of that because of, I guess, in some ways, leg spinners aren't used enough in four-day cricket. They tend to only bowl in T20s. Um, and because they're so useful in T20s, um, the art of bowling leg spin in, in red ball cricket is something that you're not seeing as uh, as much of nowadays as we did for a while. I think um, I think with England, we've had Adil Rashid recently, obviously you know, pivotal to the one-day side, but not really trusted in red ball cricket. Salisbury, Schofield, and there's been a few. Crane, who played one test in Australia, um, and somebody um, came back at me after I said, well, you know, just give Parkinson a little bit of time. He might not be the answer. He might be the answer, but at least give him more than 14 overs. 
to actually show yeah. what he can do. And they came back and said, well, there's no coincidence. No leg spinner in England has played more than 10 test matches since 1820, whatever. That is probably part of the problem because they don't actually invest and show any confidence in them. And they, as soon as an excuse to drop them, they get rid of them. Yeah. Um, any bowling was probably the last one. Yeah, yeah you, got, you, you know, as any bowler, I mean, probably more so a leg spinner than anybody. You need to have a captain <laughs> that shows a little bit of confidence in you, knows when to use you, knows how to protect you at times, and knows when to throw you in and say take some wickets. You know, you got to, you got to. Uh, I mean, I know Rash personally, and he, he's somebody that needs to feel loved and um, part of the side. And um, I don't think he ever got that in Test cricket. We'll carry on from the uh, the second in- innings onwards. Um, New Zealand came out to bat uh, their second innings. Uh, and once again, Matthew Potts um, or Matty Potts was unbelievable, James. Removed Cain Williamson, removed Tom Latham. Fantastic piece of bowling. And, and it looked like uh, <laughs> New Zealand were going to collapse yet again. This could be the world's shortest test match inside two days. I mean, I, I know Kane Williamson hasn't played test cricket since November. And he's a little bit rusty. And it was obvious that he was a little bit rusty. Having him in both innings on your debut um, isn't too bad. I mean, in mm. five years' time, 10 years' time, or in 50 years' time, when he's got his pipe and slippers and he's saying, my first, um, I got Williamson out in both innings. Nobody's going to care what the, what the situation was. That, you know, it's a major, no. major scalp twice, isn't it? Um, but England, England, I thought, did um, reasonably well. But I think where, it, where England, um, they, they came out quickly. And they, they put New Zealand under immediate pressure and again got the top order quite quickly. But the, the Mitchell-Blundell partnership mm. and then we'll come on to England's, um, you know, Joe Root in the England second innings, just mm. shows you that that wasn't actually a bad batting track. Um, it might have been a little bit slow, but if you actually batted well, if you knew where your off stump was, if you showed some perseverance, if you treated it like a test match, you could stay in and you could get runs. And Blundell and, um, and Mitchell did that for New Zealand. And for a long time in that test match, it looked like that partnership was going to take the game away from England. They they really played well. I felt for Blundell when he got out for 96, he didn't get quite on the honours board. Mm, yeah. but Mitchell did do, and you, saw, you could see what that meant to him in his celebrations. Quite wild celebrations as he punched the air and, uh, and went mm. bonkers in, uh, in North London. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a very interesting innings. But I think, I, I mean... Garov might come back in this one, but I was very critical of when England played in Ahmedabad um, and the, the pitch was breaking up on day one and the, you could see the ball actually creating dust and powder and breaking the surface on day one. And I said that was a bad test match track because there was no way that track was going to go five days. A lot of mm. Indian supporters on Twitter were coming back at me and saying, look, 17 wickets have fallen on day one at Lords. How can you suggest that that's a good pitch? You're a hypocrite, blah, blah. That was a good pitch. You know, you, what you can't do yeah. in England, do anything about the mm. overhead conditions. When the ball's swinging around, that isn't anything to do with the pitch. Just get off. Yeah, back. 17 wickets uh, on the first day of the match. <laughs> on the first day of the match, yeah. 17 wickets. Yeah, it's the, it's the movement in the air, Gareth, and it was also terrible batting at times. Yeah, I think oh, I think is, I think pitches get think, better uh, in England after the third or the fourth day, right? Just like in New Zealand. Well, I think the pitch has stayed the same all the way through. It's just that in in England, as opposed to in India, the overhead conditions in India don't make much difference. In England and in New Zealand, on on occasions, when the cloud comes over and it gets humid, that ball swings. And you get that in the hand of somebody like Jimmy Anderson that knows what to do it, or as you would call him disrespectfully, Clouderson. You you basically start to he, he has it on a string, and he gets the edges and he takes wickets. You know, seventeen wickets fell on day one of that Lord's Test match because of bad batting and because of the overhead conditions. Part of it's also the new ball. Yeah, yeah. If if you oh, the look, the new ball was the, massive, Michael, wasn't it? In this Test yeah. match, he took loads. Yeah. If you look at the um, the new all four innings, you know the the new ball was really. Well, three of the four innings, the new ball was, yeah, it was 36 for five after 20 overs in the first innings. Um, 36 for five. Then you look at the second innings was, it wasn't quite so, yeah, third, the second innings, England did really well in that. But then the third innings, it was something similar. I did have some notes where we, it was roughly 50, it was 56 for four after 23 in the, in this, in the third innings. The fourth innings, it was 69 for four after 20 overs. So, I mean, there's more runs scored, but again, four wickets, five wickets, uh, five wickets, four wickets, four wickets. And then the rest of the in- innings, the batting was re- the, it was it was reasonably uh, uh, doable. Yeah, it was 23 or 24 overs that the, the England lost two wickets in the, the first innings. And after that, in that first, in that first game, it was uh, the, the, the second innings, England's first innings. There was, you know, the, the collapse happened later, but in the rest of them, it was really the first 20 overs is where the wickets fell. And then after that, it required a lot more skill, a lot more 
it was much more difficult to get the wickets. So and you and that's the new ball was massive, and and you had to capitalise on the new ball, and you had to bowl really well after that. And, and that's um, that's why Michael as well. I thought England's chase. Joe Root was very conscious of the thing. There was a second new ball coming. They scampered and they ran every run. They they, they made sure they knocked off those runs. Actually, in the end, just before the new ball came, because they knew if the second new ball came, England had got a long tail. Potts at number eight isn't really a Test match number eight. Broad, Anderson, Parkinson are, are rabbits really these days. So if England had lost, you know, if um, that partnership between Stokes and Root or the partnership of Folks and Root had been broken a little bit earlier and New Zealand had got into the tail and the new ball had then been available to them, that could have been a very different end to that test. I I, I, I was thinking about a schoolboy game that I, I was coaching on the field next door to. So I wasn't involved with either the team, uh, but... A team, it was chasing 193, and they were 191 for five, and they lost the match. <laughs> they lost five wickets in a row without without, uh, without getting a, a single run. Um, and it can happen that when you get amongst the tail, things go horribly wrong really quickly. It took four overs or five overs without them scoring a run and losing five, five wickets too. Uh, but, the, you know, panic sets in, and that could have happened. So they were the, it was the right move to do. The other thing that was a massive factor, and again, I think it's a bit of a McCullum thing, is they they shook Williamson's confidence in using Ajaz Patel with hitting four sixes off his bowling or three sixes. Ben, off his ben Stokes was. A, 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 yeah. I mean, the first shot he played against him was an attacking shot, wasn't it? He. He played a sweep and missed it. And then the second shot, he played a sweep, a slog sweep and put him into the stands. And that was definitely predetermined there. They were determined to make sure that Patel couldn't set. Because particularly with the Grand Dome off the pitch, because what kind of Grand Dome had already started to do in the second innings and can do for quite a long spell, is just go along at 1, 1.5, 2 and over and stock up one end and allow the other seamers to rotate. But with, with the Grand Dome off, Patel was the man that they were hoping was going to do that. And Stokes took him out of the, out of the equation, didn't he? Well, I think, I think more than that, Ajaz Patel has, in domestic cricket for New Zealand, cleaned up sides time after time in the fourth innings. Even on green pitches, on pitches where uh, there's uh, plenty of life, you still, for the, the, the where it's been a quick bowling pitch, all of a sudden Patel comes in and rips the team apart. And I mean, he was the top wicket taker, I think, three years in a row in the Plunkett Shield. That's despite playing on New Zealand pitches that don't turn. Um, so you, you give him a proper fourth innings. Uh, day four, day three and a half pitch, it was turning. He was getting some movement. He beat the pitch twice in the two overs, but Williams got spooked by a couple of sixes and took him out of the attack. Yeah, I, I know him most for get, getting 10 wickets in innings and I haven't really seen too much of him, but if he is that good, why is he in and out that New Zealand side so much? Well, part of it is that uh, the type of pitches that you get in internationals in New Zealand don't, don't offer much for spin. Part of it also is that we have four very good quicks, you know, and with um, with Neil Wagner being so good with the old ball, you know, they, they don't generally give Neil Wagner the ball until over 40. And and that's a deliberate thing because he wrecks them. <laughs> you give him the ball to stop swinging for everyone else because he bangs it into the pitch. Because of that, um, you know, because Wagner takes those overs, there's not really a space for a spinner in New Zealand conditions. With the Kookaburra ball, the Duke ball doesn't work so well for Wagner's, what, what he does. Um, it doesn't give you the variation of bounce that you get. It's it pretty much it's, it swings and then it just goes straight. Um, it doesn't you don't get the, the up and down that you get with the kookaburra. So you don't get the wickets with the old ball. It doesn't work as well for what Wagner does. So he's not such a weapon in England or wouldn't be in the West Indies either. So you, at that point, then you think, well, if that plan's not working, then you go with the other plan, which is having a spinner who's who's a very handy bowler. Um, but yeah, in New Zealand, probably Wagner's your better option as your old ball bowler. You are listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. Fourth innings. Actually, Mike, we'll get your comments on um, on Shaw's uh, innings. Fantastic innings. Absolutely superb. I, I, like Amy said, I do feel sorry for Blundell. He, did, yeah. he deserved 100. Steve Smith knows how Tom Blundell feels because he removed Steve Smith in Adelaide when he was on 90. Um, or something along 94, 95 things. So uh, I, I understand um, Blundell's pain there. Uh, and Jimmy can, uh, has the habit of getting players in the 90s. Um, so just your thoughts on um, Mitchell's 100 and Blundell's innings. Oh, look, I mean, outstanding. They uh, they had the conditions to favour them. In some ways, the pitch had flattened out. The bowlers were a little bit more tired. The, the ball had gone a bit soft. 
Um, but you've still got to make the most of it. You know, it, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, the, fav- the conditions work for them, but the conditions work for everyone and not everyone scores 100. Um, you know, so they did it. They did well. They um, and, and it was a good innings. You know, it was the sort of one where your team's in trouble. Again, Blundell hasn't really been someone that scored those runs. He's been like de Gronholm. He scored the runs mm. when the team's on top and you're, you're wanting to, um, to put a team away. He's been good at that. That's been more a BJ Watling type inning. So team's in trouble. I'm just going to bat and bat and bat and bat. You, you know, you're not going to get me out. That was really not Blundell's game, but he did really well with that. Um, and it was it was it was good to see. And then we got to a point where you know you'd say with a 240 run lead with five wickets in hand, um, you, we were 90 percent chance to win that game. Well, and then the team trick, and it, it was all over. Well, before we move on to four things, we were going to say um, we're absolutely dominant. We we're looking like we we're going to make 350 lead. Um, yeah. And then Stroop came in and um, does what Stroop does. I, I was on commentary, Lucas, and it actually said that I actually didn't think Stuart brought a ball very well. And I was kind of starting mm. to say he looks a little bit rusty. I think I thought he'd mm. been not as threatening as Potts and Anderson throughout yeah, the rest yeah, of the test yeah. match. And then obviously commentators curse or commentators looking stupid. He comes on and uh, that over happens. And the ball that got Mitchell, I mean, Mitchell was starting to play with serious confidence after reaching three figures. He was striking it around beautifully. And it went straight uh, went straight through um, him and was caught behind. And then um, I thought the Colin de Grantome dismissal, Ollie Pope's throw at the stumps was another example of England being quite on it in the field because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the temptation sometimes is to just be watching the batsman and let the ball trickle to you and not really be aware of the situation. But Pope swooped in and threw the stumps down. But I thought the grand time went to sleep a little bit. You know, he, he allowed that to happen. But then oh, to get Jameson first ball bowled and th- as, you know, the team hat-trick, that changed the game. That was that was a huge three balls in this test match. I mean, you sit there for three and a bit days and watch the entire game unfold. But those three balls of many balls in that test match made a huge difference to it, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Grantham one, I, I think <laughs> and not enough credit, not enough credit's going to the, has, has gone to Pope for that. Mm. Because that was an incredible act of both awareness and then skill to hit from that angle. You know, you're, you're, you're seeing maybe one and a half stumps from there. You're picking it up on the move and throwing down the stumps in one action. And, you know, what, he was he was two inches short? Um, you know, that was uh, – but, yeah, so the, the two people that needed to get credit for the other one that didn't get enough credit for was, uh, was Stuart Broad. That was hmm. a good bit of bowling that got the batsman off balance – he, it was because he was, yeah, he, he, he didn't do what he was expecting it to, that he brought his back, back leg round, got himself into a tangle, and then took him a, safe, a little bit to get his, his composure back. And he's out. His first ball, it, it happens. Um, I remember an opener that, uh, in a team I was coaching who um, left the first ball, went through the keeper, and he got stumped. He was standing outside his ground, didn't, didn't step back into the, into the crease. Uh, opening batsman stumped first ball off the fast bowler is not a great way to go. Um, <laughs> so three down the stumps right back. You've got to say that there. Yeah, bad work from the from the opening batsman, but also outstanding mm. from the keeper to, to notice that. And that was the sort of thing. It, it really is. That was a fielding wicket more than more than. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. If the bowler got him in trouble, it was the fielder that that, that executed really well. And, and I think uh, there's an awful lot. Of, I mean, the articles have been saying that Colin de Gronholm cost New Zealand the match with um, the no ball and the um, oh, and, and the and the run out. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I think that's a bit harsh, to be honest. When when your top four score 50 runs between them, yeah. blaming the guy that was the top scorer in the first innings and took one for 26 with the ball as being the guy that cost you the match. I think it's a bit a, a bit unfair. And the Pope um, run out. It just was one of many, as I said before, one of many instances in the field. Bairstow's catching at the start of the innings. Yeah. You know, how many times have you seen England shell one of those and um, the bats oh, stay I'm, in? You know, some of those catches were catch terrific. And first catch was absolutely outstanding. I, I just I, I watched it live and thought, no, he, he, he can't have taken that. He can't have caught that yeah. one. I actually thought uh, I thought it was Crawley had caught it because the, the, the angle okay. on the on the TV didn't make it look physically possible for Besto to have got across to it. Right. But he, probably the easiest catch of the lot yeah. was the one he shared, he dropped and then dived forward to catch. You know, yeah. the England were on it from on, up from ball one in the field. Mm. Which we don't give him credit for because in the Ashes they couldn't catch a cold James. So oh, they've, they've been absolutely horrendous. In the, in the yeah. England have yeah. been dropping yeah. things. I mean, Root's been fairly handy at first slip, but apart from that, yeah. the amount of catches that have gone down and you and it, it's, you can never quantify. It's like 
the conversation about keepers, which do you pick your best keeper and what have you, because you can never really measure the effect of taking a blinding catch or dropping a blinding, you know, dropping a chance. But um, it's obviously better to take them. Catches win matches, as they say. In terms of the catches win matches, just just I'll, mm. um, I went through a bunch of series, kept a track of uh, of the catches. The number of catches taken don't, didn't seem to correlate to results, but the number of catches dropped certainly did. Mm. It was more than dropped catches lose matches rather than catches mm. win matches. It's, it's mm. dropping them loses it. Um, well, the thing is, when, when, you, when you drop them as well, you, obviously if you take a blinding catch like Bairstow did, the, the, the whole team's buzzing off the back of that. Mm. If you drop one, the team's shoulders start to slump and you maybe drop the next one as well, don't you? Well, the, the other thing, when you drop a catch, the batsman that, you know, you've now got a set batsman. <laughs> Rather than a, um, you've given him a life and he's now set, you know, yeah. rather than getting someone new in. Um, it's not the same as, as bowling to a fresh batsman. It's, it's why run outs are such a big factor, too, because run outs tend to get out set batsmen. Um, in one mm-hmm. day cricket, particularly run outs, are the, are the, the team that gets the most run outs almost always wins a match. Um, it, it's, they're, they're hugely important. We'll go to the uh, fourth innings, uh, England's second innings, mind you, within day three. And w- once again, uh, a stunning collapse um, from England outside of Joe Root. Thinking, oh gee, well, it's it's the same old, same old. I was getting ready to uh, lick my say uh, James and give it to you and say same old England. Nothing's changed. But once again, Joe Root was unbelievable making that hundred strokes. Was unbelievable. Well, Stokes was unbelievable taking down um, Patel. Uh, but but really, the, the match was probably Joe Root. I thought Lee's actually batted as well as I've seen him in an England shirt. I thought he looked very in control of himself until the final over before tea, I think it was. And he obviously had decided that he was going to try and leave as many as he could to make sure he got to tea. And that obviously cost him with a piece of poor judgment. But England off the back of that lost three wickets for 15 runs. And uh, he started to think, oh, the wheels are coming off here. There's no way they're going to chase this total down at 277. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it turned into being 69 for four, the Bairstow dismissal was strange because he, he had the, uh, a little bit of a, a swish at um, Jameson. They had a few words in between balls. Mm. It obviously got Bairstow's hackles up and he was starting to, uh, his brain was obviously going. He obviously tried to then belt the next delivery and got himself out and he paid the price for that. Uh, so Bairstow, um, I think, uh, yeah, contributed to his own downfall on that in that respect with a very poor mm. shot and probably got himself riled up. Mm. And you could see Jameson celebrations well. off the back of that. Good. He was celebra- he was mm. celebrating the fact that he'd kind of he'd, yeah. he'd done the mind games on on Bairstow mm. a little bit. But from from then on, I mean, Stokes came in and Stokes' innings initially was very very peculiar because he didn't look mm. like he was in control of anything. He was leaving alone. He was edging up. The, I mean, we often see him advance a little bit to play a defensive shot, but. He was um, his shot selection was very strange. He'd leave five balls outside of his off stump and then try and hit the next one through covers, which was a better ball through covers for four and miss it. And he was getting himself all kind of tangled up in his own head. It looked like, um, and I, I was starting to think, well, maybe the captaincy is just um, you know nuking, nuking his brain cells. He had that huge let off. He was on his way, wasn't he? He was halfway to the pavilion, and then the umpire's arm goes out because the grand time had uh, overstepped. And it seemed, um, it seemed to be that he came back in, regrouped. I think he, he benefited from the fact that Joe Root was at the other end and Joe Root's quite an unflappable kind of fella. And uh, Ben Stokes, his mind was going 100 miles an hour and Root was able to maybe just defuse what was a ticking time bomb mm-hmm. at the other end. And in, in the end, Stokes actually kind of regained the use of his faculties, really. And we've already talked about the fact that he took Ajaz Patel down and out of the attack. Um, the other person, I mean, we'll talk about Joe Root. He's 115 not out. His first fourth innings test match centuries, 26th century of his, his test career. Unflappable, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, past 10,000 runs now in international cricket. Um, coincidentally, exactly the same day to the day, age-wise, as Alistair Cook when he went past 10,000 as well. Just a brilliant player. And, you know, obviously, having worked at Yorkshire, no Rooty, and he's a lovely lad as well, so it couldn't happen to a nicer guy Again, the success. It was nice to see as well when he walked out in the, the first innings, the Lord's crowd, off the back of obviously losing the captaincy, gave him a really big um, welcome. You know, they recognised the efforts that he gave to the England captaincy, even if it didn't yield success all of the time. But just before um, we, 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 I finish on, on that, that England innings, I thought Ben Folks, a lot of people, I've, I've been crying out for Ben Folks to be in that side mm. for, 
for years now. He's by far the best gloveman of those that are deemed to be in test contention. I thought he kept really well mm. in this match. Yeah, and one of the de- one of the things that Ben Folks actually does himself a disservice with, he takes some very difficult balls so easily that they don't look difficult to people that don't really know what they're watching. Mm. So yeah. people don't actually notice how good he is. And there's a couple of very good catches that he took in the match as well. But a lot of people come back to me and say, well, yeah, you put um, Johnny Bairstow can average 15 more and Josh Butler can do this. Look at what he's just in the IPL. That innings from Spokes, I thought, <laughs> overnight. So, you know, two parts of that innings. He, he really dug in last night to keep Joe Root company because they recognised that those two being there the following morning was huge. Um, and then this morning he was um, he weighed up quite early. I think that there wasn't a huge amount of movement with the ball played a few more shots, was a bit busier. His 32 not out, I thought, was an excellent innings. Hopefully, that just goes a little bit of a way towards some of these naysayers actually recognising the fact that this guy can actually bat as well as catch. It was it was a BJ Watling-type keeper's innings for me, and that's high praise for me. Yeah. Um, it wasn't all pull shots and catch shots, and it was it was a keeper. Yeah, he did do the sort of get square a, a bit when he was playing but a keeper that was saying, right, I've got a couple of shots that I want to play, but I'm not going to give my wicket away. You know, I'm going to I'm going to just play the shots that are going to work for me, and if it's not in my zone, I'm just going to let the bowler have it. That's fine. Um, you're not yeah. going to get me out. I'm not going to give my wicket away. And it was, I mean, there was a couple of, there was a couple of nervous moments, a couple of weeks past the edge of the bat, but it was just good test batting. Don't, don't underestimate the pressure he was on as well because he yeah. knows, you know, you look at the scorecard. I mentioned earlier that the fragile tail that England have, he knows there wasn't a huge amount to come. So if he got out, that test match was probably gone. So, uh, you know, he, he knuckled down. I thought it was a terrific exhibition of concentration, discipline and uh, and will to win. Very, very good indeed. Uh, England chased down um, that total after being, I think it was um, 4.53. In, in the end, they did it quite comfortably in the end. Uh, thanks to Joe Root. Um, ben Stokes and um, folks. What I was surprised by, and I'm still, I'm still, I'm still absolutely staggered that uh, HS Patel only bowled two overs. I mean, it's it's like we could say, well, we threw everything at England except for our best bowler at that, in these sort of conditions. Except mm. for him, we threw everything at England. Except for one of our specialist bowlers that we picked, we only bowled two overs. What's the point in picking him if we're not going to bowl him? If we it, well, Exactly. If you might as well have picked you, you might as well have picked Neil Wagner, right? If you're only going to hold the yeah. spinner two two overs. Absolutely. I mean, there's no there's no advantage to having um, AJ's Patel on the side if you're not going to bowl him. His, his batting's not that good. <laughs> Williamson just got off the plane from seeing his baby born. Uh, I can understand why his head may not have been quite in it, but I you know I'd like to see a pretty big improvement from New Zealand's top four. Um, but I think Williamson's captaincy, I, I'd felt that, it, I, well, I do think his captaincy is much better than Tom Latham's. Um, but Yes, he, um, yes you but, said it on the previous podcast, yes. yes. Yeah, I don't rate Latham as a captain yet. Mm-hmm. I think I think once he gets a chance to establish himself uh, to you know, as the captain, where they work on the strategies, you know, the, the, as opposed to a, a standing captain, he may well be much better. But, uh, you know... I, I think there was some very poor decisions. Well, there was one repeated very poor decision of not giving AJS Patel the ball. And it may be that there was something that Williamson could see that we couldn't. But I know that AJS Patel, when he's played against Joe Root in the past, got him out without Root scoring any runs. He faced a couple of overs of not being able to score and then got him out. Um, he got Ben Folks out as well before. So he's got two bowlers that he's dismissed last time he's bowled to them and he's not giving them a chance to bowl at them again. Yeah. You know, you, when you've got the pitches turning, he brought, he beat the bat twice in, in two overs. You know that England are going to attack him, so he's going to create opportunities. Yes. It's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Not, da- not da- James mentioned that there was predetermined by England, especially by Ben Stokes, even Joe Root. I mean, is, that, is that a reason why Aim Williamson did not want to bring him on? Because... My point is that they should have bought him on earlier when England were down probably 150 to 160, not when they were 100. And when they went yes. after him, like 20, 20 was a 20, I think they took him for 16 off and over. That's, yes. that's a big amount of percentage of runs. That could have possibly scared Camden. But the point is they did get out the Stokes. And then to your point, you know, he has got out um, Froats and he has got out um, Root before. So it is a little bit bizarre why they didn't come after him, but there could be an argument from Cambridge side. 
that he didn't want to because they predetermined to go after him. And it could be also the matchups thing. They know Root's yeah. good against spin. Keepers yeah. tend to be good against spin, so we'll wait until the tail's in and then bowl them against them. And there's also the fact that they're wanting to build the pressure, and you get the runs, you get a few quick overs, a couple of overs where you get 30 runs um, mm. off three overs or something. Yeah. The pressure's all gone. At that point there, you've now got rid of a lot of that scoreboard pressure. But what if he picks up a wicket? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the time to bowl him was actually when Stokes was out. Stokes played a silly shot yes. and got himself yeah. out. And Stokes was the one that was really showing any massive ta- mm. attacking intent. Root's just busy, he always is. Yeah. And Root's a very good player of spin, so he's folks. But the folks were going to be fresh at the crease. That was the time, if you were going to use Ajaz Patel, to bring him back on when the pressure had gone, when Stokes, the, the man that had tried to take him down or had taken him down, had, had vacated the scene. You could have brought him back in there and just tried him for another two or three overs to see if that would have made any difference, I think. Yeah, well, the other thing is, um, you know, Stokes is a left-hander. Left-handers tend to do really well against left-arm orthodox bowlers, um, more so than right-handers against right, uh, against off-spinners. It's, it's, it's like it's probably the worst possible matchup for a bowler is left-arm orthodox versus left-handers. Once, uh, once Stokes is out, you've got two right-handers there. It changes the equation. So uh, England, uh, as I said, they, they did it quite well in the end. Uh, they won by six wickets inside of... Uh, Three and a half days. It's poor Colin had gone home, Michael. Um, it, it very harsh to say he lost him the test match, but he went from hero to zero very quickly um, with the no ball off Ben Stokes. We'll go to the hero part. He made that 40, that fighting 40. Uh, the no ball off Ben Stokes, um, and then getting injured. This couldn't do anything right on that day, um, Michael. Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty poor day. Um, when, yeah. you, when you go from from having been the top scorer and one of the best bowlers you know, and, and having been a real contributor with the ball to then getting yeah. run out first ball, yes. give, uh, give a, an opposition batsman a life and then have to walk off injured after four overs. It's not an ideal situation. Come on, um, Colin. Um, but, yeah, the, but what a, you still look at it and you say net contribution-wise – yeah, his averages for that match, he averaged 42 with the bat and 26 with the ball. <laughs> that's that's not a bad outcome. If you can that, do that every day, you're going to win a lot of tests for your team. I, I was just going to bring up the, what's your positives. You just brought up a positive there, so fantastic. But uh, what what positives, Michael, for New Zealand? Oh, look, Kyle James, great to see, great to see yeah. Kyle Jamison bowling well again. Yeah. Um, he'd been, there'd been some question marks. He'd, be, he'd been a little bit average against Bangladesh. Um, South Africa as well didn't look so penetrative. So it was good to see that. Uh, Trent Bolt bowled really well in the first innings. Yes. I yes. thought it was good to see him doing that because he hasn't bowled a lot in tests recently. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and then, and then um, Mitchell, Blundell, de Gronholm, though that had been a real concern, 5-6-7, mm. and the 5-6-7 all stepped up. They all had a good innings um, in, the, in the match. So you, you look at that and you say, well, that's a – that's a positive, but the overwhelming negative. Yeah, there, there were two: the top four and yeah. the lack of AJ's Patel. And and I still I sit here and I just can't figure out the rationale for not playing. But you can't. Him. But but nobody can blame Patel for that. That one isn't that on Kane Williamson. Oh. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent on Kane Williamson. Yeah. Unless yeah. Patel was saying I don't want to bowl, in which case he shouldn't be picked for the next test. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if he was there trying to get, yeah, give me a bulk, skip, you know, and, and Williamson yeah. saying no, that's something they need to sit down and go, what's going on? What That was not, I, I know that you're trying to build pressure and they're hoping to get a wicket and that's something, but your best wicket taking option in, that, in, a, in a condition where the ball is turning but isn't doing anything for the quicks is a spinner. And we just didn't play. And it's just dumb. It was just dumb. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And uh, aims the positives and negatives. For that test match. Positives were Ben Stokes gets off to a winning start. McCullum's off to a winning start. Um, ben Stokes has now a win as test captain. He's only captain Red Bull once before and they lost it. So, you know, he's kind of got rid of that because the likes of me would have been writing that. The, <laughs> the, the, the negative is the top order still, the top three. Yeah. It's the constant discussion point for English cricket over the last however many years. Um, they've not been solved yet really no further forward in solving it because even though Crawley got runs he he's always giving you an opportunity and he he does need to be more ruthless I mean even despite the fact he top scored in that first innings he'd got himself in by that stage and 
that's when you can really maximise your, you know, get your team, you know, be ruthless and go on and get a big, bigger score. Um, so I, yeah, I'd still very much jury out on Crawley, um, Lees and Pope in the top three. What's though massive positive roots, obviously having relinquished the captaincy. I mean, having knowing Rooty a little bit, he's just team team orientated and cricket orientated. He's Ben Stokes is his mate. You could see just genuine. Um, he was trying to help him and he was dead keen for his mate to get a win under his belt. So there was no kind of ego in that kind of, I don't want this team to win because I'm not in charge of it anymore. Yeah, he's not like that. And for him to get that century and to get past 10,000 runs and um, and to get his first fourth inning century, yeah, all massive ticks. Ben folks behind the sticks and batting, massive tick. And Matty Potts um, coming into the side and taking seven wickets fairly cheaply on debut. It's huge for him as well. I'm sure we'll see him again. Sorry, as far as something for England, Joe Root scored 100 in the fourth innings to win a match. That's a that's one of those milestone marks you want to have done that in your career. If you're a great yeah. batsman, you want to have done that at some point. And um, Steve Smith hasn't done it. Verrett Coley hasn't done it. Uh, but now Joe Root has done it. There's only three um, people ever done it at Lords, and there's been a lot of Test matches played at Lords over the years. Gordon Greenwich on one leg. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely incredible innings from him. Um, Nasser Hussain, as he was reminded on commentary, I was watching the TV stuff today. He, he was the other one. Um, and obviously Root today. So, you know, in, in decent company there. And it's a fairly rare occurrence. Um, you know, the fact that Root's played as many test matches as he has done and um, hasn't notched a fourth inning century, despite being such a good player. I mean, there are a few 77 not outs and things like that along the way where he could have gone on and done it if the game hadn't finished. But, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a notable milestone, I think, not today. Yeah. Well, I, I genuinely think, it. Lucas, I know I'm biased, but I genuinely yeah. th- think at the moment, over, well, over the last two years, Joe Root is the best yeah. batsman in the world cricket uh, Root's, Root's, Root's been absolutely outstanding in the last couple of years and this if, was yeah. and this was a brilliant brilliant knock it's, it's hard yeah. to oh yeah. yeah easy to understate how good this knock was because of yeah, yeah. You look so somebody described it to me on Twitter as a as an adult knock you know yeah. not a schoolboy innings that was an adult no, test oh, yeah. knock and that comes, yeah. That, yeah, it's not a bad way of putting it I don't think I'll go this is probably the top five best Joe Roots of all time that he scored I, 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 um, I reckon it's probably yeah. Yeah, it's right up there yeah, because yeah, yeah. And, and the thing That's with Rooty, five games. The, the, the thing with Rooty is that when he's playing like that, he doesn't really give the bowlers too much of a, a glimpse because he he gets across his stumps to the offside and nudges it through mid wicket. Yeah. He he just deflects, he sticks it in the gap. He's so aware of where the gaps are. Ken Williamson leaves a gap at mid wicket. He dances across his off stump and punches it through there twice. So the Williamson fills that hole, and then the next time he just steps away to leg a little bit more and glances it through point or something, you know, not, not nudges it through point. So he, he just knows where every single fielder is and he just has so much time and that's the hallmark of a, a class act, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And, and you see all, all, of the, all of the top guys do that when they're, when they're on. Um, yeah. You see Smith finding the gaps. You see um, Coley just, just mm. you know, you move a fielder and he just hits it to where that fielder's just come from. Um, and it's, and it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because you watch the likes of Ollie Pope struggling to, score runs at all and then how easy somebody like Joe Root makes it look that's kind of the definition of class isn't it? it it's also I think the mental game that once yeah. you're that once you're comfortable being there and Martin Crow talked about it that, that it was much easier to bat once he knew that he belonged in his cricket yeah that's what Ollie Pope needs I, I've got no doubt Ollie Pope's a terrific talent he just needs that mental breakthrough if he can make get, you know, take that mental step up he could score a lot of runs for England. He's just um, really struggling to, uh, to well, to find the step, let alone take it. Yeah, well, he certainly looks like a guy that will average mid forties, um, not not mid twenties like he is at the moment. He looks. But he's like what you. He's what you were saying. He probably looks fantastic in the nets, but he's not getting any runs. Yeah, he only had Daniel Flynn for a number of years, who was the best looking. I mean. You watch Daniel Flynn, you thought this guy's going to be the next Bradman, the next Sangakara, <laughs> and he yeah. averaged twenty-four in Test cricket or something. Um, and you just you just can't understand how how does a guy that times the ball that well and sees the ball that and not score runs? And it, the, the, the the reason was he scored three. He played three delightful boundaries and then hit the ball straight to a fielder and got out. And that's pretty much yeah. what he did every innings. Um, yeah, and and, and there, you do get players like that, but I think Pope looks like he's got the goods to go on a bit more. Um, final takeaways, Michael. Oh, look, I, for me, the, I don't think we'll see another collapse like that. I think we've had our yeah. we've had our three or four big uh, yeah. collapses up front for the series. I think we'll see some more conventional scores. 
Um, but the, the takeaway for me is why is Kane Williamson not bowling Ajaz Patel? That, that's just, that's, we, we went in, we only used three quarters of our resources. A very good um, final takeaway, Michael. I completely agree with you on that. He's, he's there to, to bowl spin, if bowling spin. As he said, he doesn't add to the batting. Why is he out there? And it's Butler, um, final takeaway for you. I just think test cricket is marvellous. Oh, you know, okay. It had a little bit of everything, that test match, didn't it? Collapses, yeah. great bowling, some plucky batting, some brilliant batting, some great catching, drama all the way through. Each side was in it. Um, New Zealand went ahead, England fought back. England went ahead, New Zealand fought back. Uh, there's very rarely series between these two nations where there aren't good matches along the way, whether mm. it's white ball or red ball. And uh, looking forward to the uh, test matches two and three. And if Michael thinks he's seen the last of the collapses, he's not been paying attention to how England bat. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that we won't see any more collapses. But I don't think we'll see uh, teams four down for nothing for next to nothing. Um, well, I don't think we'll see New Zealand do that too many more times. I think I, I think that's we've probably had the you know the one in the warm up game and two and two in this test. I don't think we'll see two more. And if we do. Uh, then maybe it's time to start suggesting that Will Young, or you know, that, that we need to start thinking about personnel. But but I don't think we're going to see another one of uh, uh, you know that that being repeated. Well, pe- people do have their quirks in life, don't they? And if your thing, your fetish is collapses, then England's your team. Oh, I know. I think Pakistan's <laughs> the thing. I think if you really like collapses, there's no one does it better than Pakistan. Fantastic. <laughs> Okay, and that concludes. Uh, actually, since my, since the uh, end, the news uh, Englishman's here. How about that little interesting moment with Ben Stokes in the field where it deflected off his bat, and they uh, all had a uh, little bit of a laugh about it. Brought up the old, uh, World Cup memories again. Couldn't believe memories it. Memories do not need to be repeated. We do not <laughs> need to talk about that moment, that incident. I did notice they gave him the correct amount of runs this time. Um, <laughs> I put the right end. See, the, 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 you, you Kiwis and Aussies and stuff like that, what you don't realise is that hadn't happened. They just hit the final ball for six. They wouldn't have even been the super over. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe they should have done the underarm. That would have uh, fixed England right up. <laughs> well, you can say anything you like about New Zealanders and Englishmen, but they're not Australians. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's, uh, that's a bold winning from Mr. Butler there. Any response, Michael? I, He's got I didn't nothing. Catch you got him. You, yeah. <laughs> he didn't catch that. Okay. Uh, it was agreeing okay. with me. That was an anti-Australian comment. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Let's bid up on the Australian. They can't. They hasn't played Test matches in since January. Oh, sorry, since April. But uh, there's, there's still hope for us. Uh, anyway, that concludes our podcast. Follow Michael Wagner at Michael Wagner on Twitter and um, just by out the Cricket Badger. Me, point to the Spanish King. I must say, it's been a privilege, guys. Um, had some great, great fun. We've, put, we've just blasted the absolute crap out of each other. Uh, thank you, uh, Michael and James, uh, for coming. Pleasure. Yep. Great. Okay. Thank you, thank you, um, thank you guys uh, for watching, and we'll see you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.